0: Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel for gas and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. The segment is brought to you by Commercial Agent Success Strategies. This is incredible commercial agent training that you can get online, access it via the cloud. I know it's good. I created it. Check it out at CommercialAgentSuccess.com today we're talking about mixed use now the name of the show is why mixed use could be your answer (laughs) your answer and you know we've seen a lot of mixed use development happen around the country i'm headquartered in atlanta we're seeing a lot here there's a lot of benefits of it there's also some changes in how tenants and landlords and the legal side and the design side and the architecture really works and we're going to get more into it today. We're going to interview an architect that's doing some great projects around the country. We're going to interview an attorney who's been involved in the legal side of the mixed use for a long time to give us some tips there. And then we'll talk to a leading developer involved in the front line. Please welcome my first guest. It's Maxwell Powell. He's a partner with Bayer, Blender, and Bell. They're architects. And he's joining us on Skype. Maxwell, thanks for joining us, sir.
1: Thank you so much, Michael.
0: It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I want to ask you, first of all, I mean, you guys have been doing great design work for a long time. Are you seeing more mixed use and do you expect to see you know, that continue to ramp up?
1: Absolutely. I think you know every project that's coming into our door these days are all focused on mixed use and creating sort of great, uh, projects that have uh, not only variety of uses, but projects that really relate back to the streetscape and sort of urban life, right? And that's sort of, uh, you know, the essence of what we've been working on in, in the last number of years now. And it's really something that we're seeing is, is really a popular trend in the development uh, industry here. Yeah. And what are
0: the tenants and the developers and, and you guys, what are you seeing that's making these you know more interesting today? What do you do with different to make them more enticing?
1: So I think it's more than just, you know, having a bunch of uses that you're just kind of putting all together in one spot, but it's really thinking about programming how they all work together, right? So it's trying to find the right balance between sort of residential uses, commercial uses, retail uses. Open space, which is a huge key uh, component of uh, mixed-use projects, and putting them all together in a way that you can sort of program how that might work and sort of curate what that program is. And we're finding a lot of our developer clients are doing that in a way that's very, very sophisticated in terms of really trying to... Uh, find a retail component, for instance, that would really build upon the attendance that they're trying to track either for the office or for the residential. So it's really targeted in terms of how they're approaching these mixed-use projects now.
0: Yeah, I remember when I was a kid and, and I'd see uh, architects on these TV shows and I thought, man, that's cool. You're designing something. You can see it when you're done. That's cool. I want to do it. When you think about what they designed in those days, single purpose, lots of parking lots, and then when you're designing something like this where things are so interactive and, you know, the value and the enjoyment of these spaces is so interactive with each other. I mean, what are some of the things that, that you're having to think about that kind of in the old days was, was a non-issue?
1: Well, I think, you know, you hit it right there. I think parking was always sort of the number one factor in sort of any development back in the old days. And I think today, especially with the advent of transit oriented developments and sort of sustainable practices of how we develop now in our cities, you know, parking really is taking a, a back seat to the pedestrian, and I think that's really a tremendous advancement, sort of, in urban design and architecture. So you see it, you know, all over the country. We see it here, obviously, in New York. Everywhere we walk, it's you know, sort of pedestrian-oriented um, uh, experiences. Um, in Atlanta, where I just came back from last uh, Friday, we had just opened a, um, a second phase of Colony Square. Uh, with North American properties. And this was a project that we looked at to reinvigorate what was really sort of a mall that was tying together this mixed-use development built back in the 70s that was really, uh, the mall itself was not doing very well. And we had to kind of reposition that. So we're doing a whole host of um, sort of architectural changes and sort of programming changes, introducing open space, and introducing new types of retail and new types of commercial spaces to really kind of bring it into the 21st century.
0: And back to the parking for a moment that you mentioned. You know, it seems like a lot of people are thinking that we'll have less cars in our future or at least need less parking with shared cars and electric cars and more mass transit. Um, What are you doing related to that in these mixed-use developments?
1: It's interesting. You know, I think a lot of it is market-driven. For sure, right? So, you know, there's always some amount of parking that you're going to need if you're, you know, renting certain units or you're renting office space. Uh, But what we're finding also in municipalities that we're working in is that it's no longer a factor of, you know, we need, you know, one and a half spaces per residential unit, um, but it's more of actually a you can have a maximum number of spaces in in a given uh, project development, and a lot of these projects again are being developed on transit corridors, which really helps uh, in terms of reducing the required parking demands. There are other factors like shared parking, um, you know, the Zipcar phenomenon, um, bike uh, bike usage, and and all these other factors that help help us reduce the, the required needs, not just on paper, but in reality.
0: And are the municipalities for the most part Maxwell, letting you use shared parking and cutting down on some of these requirements if you have a day use and an evening use
1: yes, absolutely, and especially when you when you talk about uh, mixed use projects when you have office that would share with retail and those are really complementary right or office that shares with residential that 's also complementary. Um, their ordinances are written today in more and more cities where it factors in those shared uses, and in addition to that, all of those other factors that you can you can do to try to reduce the parking demand on on a on a project. So yeah. it's it's really quite flexible now, and it's not yeah, it's certainly as rigid as it was even ten years ago. And what would you say
0: to city planners around the country uh, related to mixed use? What should they think about uh, related to planning moving forward?
1: Well, I think you know part of it is. So going back to the roots, right? So going back to what makes great cities great. So if you, you know, whether you look at cities in America, you know, San Francisco or New York or Boston, some of these cities that have historically been very good at uh, creating urban environments that are pedestrian friendly and that, you know, it's really interesting to walk down. But also, you know, going back to Europe, if you could go back to London or Paris or even Rome going way back in time and and kind of experiencing those cities, you know, these are cities that are really quite compact, pedestrian oriented and really focused on the experience at the street level. Right. So what that also means is, you know, when you design, uh, when you're looking at uh, mixed use projects, it doesn't mean that we have to create sort of oodles and oodles of open space, but it's really where you place the open space, the connections between the open space and how the buildings around it form those open spaces. I think that's really what, um, you can really take advantage of in, in, in a larger scale uh, mixed-use development and really create something special.
0: Yeah. And Maxwell, what should some of the tenants think about, whether you want to talk about it as a, a retail tenant or an office tenant, uh, to let them know, hey, why is it different and, and why should you put up with maybe some of the things that, that you used to have in the old settings that you don't have here?
1: Yeah. So so why should I give up the, you know, the big garage, you know, kind of connect it directly to my office building and, yeah. you know, come down to the street level and walk across the street. Yeah, I think, again, it's part of that experience. It's, you know, being able to have a, you know, a great restaurant right downstairs, a bar, you know, you've got the fitness center right across the street. It's having that sort of um, um, sort of a new form of sort of the idea of a city within a city, but it's really just the city. Right. So, um, you know, I think, having those amenities are really, is what really, uh, what drives these developments in terms of having the ability to mix these uses together.
0: Well you had me at
1: bar. (laughs) (laughs) There's plenty of bars in all these developments. (laughs)
0: That's right. Uh, Are you seeing in these developments that the parcels are being uh, under one ownership? Are you seeing more that there's individual ownership or fee simple parcels uh, for each different use, what are you seeing trend wise there?
1: You know it very it really varies. Um, you know I think in the initial planning of these mixed use uh, neighborhoods, typically it's one uh, developer or a or a partnership with developers. We have a project in uh, Jersey City, which is an eighteen acre site, uh, an existing power center that we went through with the city to redevelop it into a truly mixed use community with streets that come through and open space and parks. Um, with, you know, 5,400 units of housing approved in like half a million square feet of retail. And, you know, that's obviously a very big project that will be you know implemented over probably decades. Um, but, you know, we do see that projects of that scale do get parceled off, right? And, and part of the advantage of doing that is you do get more of a variety, right? So it's not always uh, great to have one... Uh, developer, you know, with one architect or two architects developing an entire uh, neighborhood, there's always, you know, great advantages to have a variety of, of designers and thoughts and ideas, um, you know, all working within the same framework for, you know, an urban design uh, of a mixed-use project.
0: That makes sense, but but they just have to, they better do what you tell them to do, though, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, they you know, that's listen. where guidelines
1: come in and zoning and all of that, all of those fun things. <laughs> uh, so what is,
0: in the future for us, Maxwell. And in the future, mixed-use developments, because it seems like it's a, a, a bit of an evolving property type.
1: Yeah, you know, I think you know, obviously, the um, the issues that traditional retail is having is something that um, you know we're all looking very closely at whenever we're designing mixed-use projects, but you know, for mixed use project to really work, you know, you need you need that retail component or you need the restaurant component, the F&B component, and those components all tie together to really create an interesting neighborhood. Um, so it's something that we are certainly working with all of our developers to make sure that what we're putting in there, again, is sort of a curated and sort of a programmed uh, approach to the design. But um, that is one thing that we are looking at. And then also the Um, the concept of amenities, right? Amenities are huge, not just, you know, within, uh, say, a residential building or within a commercial building, but looking at the mixed-use development overall as its amenity package, you know, what does that offer? What does that, why does that make it more special than, you know, going out to some suburban office park somewhere else?
0: Yeah. And a lot of these mixed-use developments are, are ground up and they're all new, but some of them are adaptive reuse, and they're using some some older buildings. Are you are, are you involved in those types of projects? And, and what are some tips for developers on those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, for us, actually, historically, our, our firm has been uh, sort of pioneers and and looking at um, adaptive reuse and historic preservation. You know, we we uh, adaptively reused and restored Grand Central Terminal here in New York and we created, you know, essentially the first food hall of its time, 20 years ago. Um, the Rockefeller Center was another project that we've been working on. And those are really the fun projects because what it, what it gives us is an opportunity as architects and designers and urban designers to look at an existing resource and try to reuse it, right? So that's really sort of the ultimate in the idea of sustainability right is to be able to find what's sort of great about something that's there already reuse it and give it a brand new life and we've been doing that with buildings and now we're doing that with mixed use projects right so colony square again just going back to that project was atlanta's very first mixed use project and it's actually the first mixed use project in the southeast built in the 1970s And you know Midtown Atlanta really grew up around it over the last 40, 50 years, and it's kind of left Colony Square behind because Colony Square was designed as an inward-looking project. So we're taking that, reversing it, inside out, bringing everything back out to the street, and really creating a, you know, reinvigorating sort of the mixed use. Um, ideal of colony, original colony square It's something that's really new and part of uh, you know the 21st century moving forward. So these are great projects. We love working on uh, projects that are uh, have a, have a component of an existing uh, building and needs to be needs some tender love and care.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also interesting when you're doing those adaptive reuse. Some of those buildings sort of have an identity or, or they have an identity already. So what do you think of there when you're planning these, whether it's adaptive reuse? or a new project, how are you kind of creating that identity?
1: So, you know, I think with adaptive reuse, there you've, you've got a little bit of a head start there because oftentimes there may be an architectural style or there's a history involved with uh, with the project um, that people know about um, over the years, and that might form into some idea of branding and how you might brand the mixed-use district. With a brand new project, you know, that's something that you're going to have to invent, right? You'll know, invent it through the architecture, through the urban design, through the open space, through how you may program, again, the the types of uses that may be going in there but yeah I think um, sort of creating um, an identity for a project is obviously very important you know as important as a retailer needs to create an identity for their storefronts but that for overall for for the project that's super important
0: yeah well that's great that's interesting and Maxwell you guys done some great work I can't wait to to visit Colony Square and uh, see one of your your latest projects thanks for being on the show
1: Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Thanks. All
0: right. Well, stay with us. We'll have more on mixed use, and we'll answer the question of why mixed use could be your answer. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com.
2: Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com.
0: Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. The excitement is brought to you by Red IQ. Uh, Check them out at rediq.com. They turn data into actionable intelligence for the apartment community. Check it out. Well, today we're talking about mixed use. And the name of the show is why mixed use can be your answer. And it could be your answer as an occupier, as an investor, as a developer, or whatever you do. Mixed use is becoming very popular. And part that makes mixed use very interesting and and intricate is the legal side. Please welcome my next guest, Seth Wiseman. He's a senior partner with the law firm Weissman, and he's joining us in Studio One. Seth, uh, good to see you again, sir. Good to see you, Michael. Uh, As I was mentioned before the show, we uh, we did a segment with you on uh, real estate contracts, and uh, it's just been crazy popular on uh, YouTube we'll, we'll put a link to that if you're interested in that but today let's talk about mixed use and you know as I mentioned mixed use can be pretty complicated legally because you have all these uses kind of interacting so when you sit down with a with a developer who's, who's starting a project a mixed use project you know how do you start it out with them what do you start where do you start to help get an idea of how you should set up the entities and how everything should work together
3: Sure. Well, you know, what we do typically is we sit down with construction drawings and with a plan where we want to understand what the developer's vision is and, more importantly, how they plan to stage the development over a period of time. And what the sizes um, and square footages are of each of the components within the project And what we then try to do is to figure out how is this thing gonna operate and who needs to logically be in control of the overall development and what legal protections do you need to make sure that the project works well, not over a five-year term, but over the next hundred years. And, you know, usually what ends up happening um, because you have so many uses in close proximity, and in many cases uses on top of uses.
0: With different owners.
3: With different owners, Um, and you know, even if it's the same owner, like at Ponce City Market in Atlanta, um, which is the old Sears building, that is still owned by Jamestown. But we did that project as a master condominium where each land use was its own condominium unit, and we did it that way so that Jamestown could put different financing on each of the different components within the development. yeah but um, you know a lot of what we do are big picture issues in terms of figuring out who should control the development, what uses are going to be shared by everyone within the mixed-use development. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of what the lawyers end up doing is focusing on little nitty-gritty things like um, how do you get from your office tower to the service area, which may not be directly underneath your building, or how is the trash going to get taken out, Mm -hmm. and is the trash room going to be Um, conditioned space or not, Mm -hmm. uh, because while you wouldn't think this, one issue we had early on was we had a fish restaurant Mm -hmm. in a mixed-use development in Atlanta. Their trash was underneath the office building, Mm -hmm. and fish in the summer really stinks, if it's not air conditioned, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, and now both the lawyers and the architects, you know, we ask a lot of operational questions and then we try to figure out, you know, who's going to pay for different things within the overall shared project.
0: Yeah. Well, I like what you're doing there with the condominium ownership because you know, if you think about some mixed-use developments, maybe there's apartments here and retail here, maybe there's a hotel here, and they might be on separate pieces, but I guess when you do it as a, a condo, you don't have to worry about subdividing those with the county, right? They don't have to have the right frontage and, and all of that, and it seems like would make can make things a lot simpler. And, I guess, give you more long-term control?
3: Well, a, a condominium regime exists in perpetuity, which means it's going to be there forever And you're absolutely right on the subdivision issue because a condominium by state statute, every state in the United States, it is not a subdivision of real estate. And what the last thing you want is to have to build a mixed-use project where you have to have subdivision separations. It, It just is antithetical to the whole concept of mixed use. Yeah. Um, so that that's really a primary benefit of using the condominium structure. But what's also interesting, at least in the Atlanta area, is that all of our fire codes are based on legal property lines. Mm-hmm. And when you do a project as a condominium, you do not create legal property lines within the development. Instead, you create unit boundary lines. Mm -hmm. And typically, the fire codes in most jurisdictions do not require you to do special construction to separate one condo unit from another. Um, And we had that happen where... You know, Cousins Properties literally saved millions of dollars um, when they did the Terminus project here in Buckhead in Atlanta. Um, By doing the development as a condominium, they did not have to add firewalls along what would have otherwise been a property line.
0: Yeah. And then as you mentioned before, uh, when you gave the example of Pond City Market, it gets each piece uh, financeable on its own. But also if you're a developer, I guess, and you're, and you're developing the entire project, you, you you could do hotel, you can do whatever's in there, but you might want to sell them off individually at some point, right? Sure. So that's that very helpful there. You don't have to worry about subdividing or, or, or doing anything there to, to, to sell it off. Now, I know you've been doing this a long time. We've we've worked together, you know, decades uh, ago on on condominiums and, and conversions and things like that. How do planners and and you um you're a professor on on planning what at Georgia Tech? Yeah, yeah. I've taught city planning at Georgia for, Tech yeah. for a dozen years. Yeah, so how do planners look at mixed use? in general uh, uh, around the country, is, uh, is it do they love it? Do they, are they confused by it? Is it more problem for a city planner?
3: I think planners absolutely love it because um, from a planning perspective, what you're trying to do is to create denser, more efficient urban spaces. Mm-hmm. And when you do mixed use, you know, you're creating a lot of energy through that density Um, And rather than having canyons of office buildings that don't attract consumers, what you ideally want is a lot of things happening in the physical space at all hours of the day and night. Mm -hmm. And when you combine uses, it actually allows even the time-sharing of portions of the project. Like parking. With parking. because in the daytime, your office users are going to use that parking. At night, there's no reason you can't shift some of that parking to retail uses or to hotel guests who are just staying for one evening. Yeah,
0: Yeah, well, that's interesting. So it seems like back in the day, many years ago, I guess now, when retail started having some woes, some of the the city municipalities seem like they were pushing back on these retail malls and dead malls and things and they like, no we want retail we want retail but our planners now like looking at some retail that's not working well and saying you know what this would be perfect for mixed use and 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 they open open their arms for that kind type of use on these retail properties now we are seeing an awful lot of old retail
3: centers mm-hmm getting um, redeveloped, and typically you eliminate 80% of the retail space. You keep 20% and you then add a office component in the form of an office tower or two, and um, you you typically are going to add an apartment tower as well, which also creates some legal issues because you only have that flexibility if your leases give you that flexibility Um, so a lot of mall owners have been very careful with how their leases are written so that they're no longer obligated to provide all of the facilities and amenities that were once there like all that expansive parking out there for right which people are are not using but um you know, I think what, there's a, a major transformation taking place in terms of the type of retail we see, mm-hmm. because by and large, the number one retail use in any kind of mixed-use development is a restaurant. And then beyond that, it's often things which um, help create experiences. So it might be very unique kinds of shopping, um, music venues, uh, beer um, breweries, Mm -hmm. things that are more entertainment-driven that attract people to that mixed-use development during the day and at night. Yeah.
0: What's been your experience, Seth, and and your lawyers? So you have 60 lawyers in 16 offices, and you've been doing commercial real estate and real estate a long time. What do you see? 40 years. (laughs) 40 years. Yeah. A real long time. real long time. Uh, What do you see for some of the tenants? Do you get any pushback with some of these tenants now uh, who maybe are used to kind of the way their leases were in the mall or in the shopping centers, and now they're in mixed use, and there's a lot more regulations, a lot more changes, do do they give you a little pushback? How's that going? No. No. I mean, actually. I mean, tenants all want
3: to certainly do their thing, mm-hmm. but um, I think for retail to survive, particularly at a restaurant level, you you've got to be in areas that where there's going to be a lot of traffic, mm-hmm. and at the moment, mixed use is the happening thing, yeah. and you know what we're seeing are a lot of older city centers that were in suburban areas that were developed at very low densities, really reinventing themselves, Mm -hmm. where folks living in the suburbs who may not want to come downtown, um, we are finding that they very much are willing to go a couple of miles Mm -hmm. to what used to be a sleepy downtown in a suburban city where nothing was going on, Mm -hmm. suddenly those areas are filled with bars and restaurants and Mm -hmm. entertainment, Mm -hmm. and um, they have become cool places. But but it's a slightly different user. It may be older folks going to listen to an old band Mm -hmm. that no longer plays in a big venue or eat at restaurants that are hip and they're foodies, but they'd rather not go to um, the slickest in-town neighborhoods.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, uh, and also, I guess it can be helpful for some of the traffic issues that some cities have, right? If people aren't all going to the central business district, maybe they're hitting these mixed-use developments and not, they're not traveling around the city as much. Um, what do you see for tips and strategies for the listeners and viewers related to doing mixed use and an adaptive view use or some sort type of historic building? is uh, I, I, know, I guess there's some good and bad with that, right? Some advantages and disadvantages. Well, I think when you... Um, I, I
3: happen to think that the hippest projects that I have seen mm-hmm. are projects where you incorporate um, something that has some historic qualities to it I think we enjoy being in those kinds of spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, old warehouses, old in the south, we have a lot of old mills, Mm -hmm. and when you have tall ceilings and old wooden floors and um, catwalks, and you know, I think from a design perspective, you can do a lot of cool things, and that I think that's the kind of place where when you're looking for a special meal or you're bringing friends who are out of town and they want to see your city, yeah I think when you can show them something that has that kind of character, and it's unique. Right? it It's yeah. unique and yeah. it makes it yeah. um, special. And you know, truth be told, well, I, I, I think, it's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. It costs a lot to renovate that type of building. Um, But the end result, and just to emphasize that point, when Ponce City Market was redeveloped, I think they had a $400 million construction budget Mm -hmm. for that entire um, development, huge sums of money. Mm -hmm. But you also end up with spaces that, because people want to go there, you can command very high rents. Yeah. Now, yeah. You, you can do that in suburban mixed use, um, but it's a little harder to, you typically have to have a much larger area to work with mm-hmm. um, in order to create that kind of feeling and an ambiance.
0: Yeah, and some of these historic buildings uh, don't necessarily, uh, their previous use might not have necessarily been that grand or that grandiose, right?
3: No, I, well, if you look at at the Sears, mm-hmm. um, the Ponce City Market, which was mm-hmm. the largest Sears warehouse, mm-hmm. or I'm working in a project at the moment in Nashville that was an old slaughterhouse, yeah. which is a pretty disgusting use, Yeah. But when you look inside this building, it is really cool space. Yeah. And will it attract a lot of people? Absolutely. Now, it also happens to be on the Cumberland River. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you can add that kind of water feature to it. Yeah. And I do think we're really seeing a national group of architects focus on this kind of adaptive mixed-use um, development, and I just think they're doing some some things that consumers really like. I, I think that is at the coolest level, much more so than just a suburban mixed-use development that's walkable.
0: Um,
3: I, I, you know, maybe it's different experiences for different types of, yeah. of people.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and uh, if that new one uh, in the open land is, is near you, it's near you, and you might enjoy it. But like you said, if you if you go to Nashville, uh, once that development's done, that might be an interesting place. Let's go see that. Let, let's. Are we really going to have a steak dinner in a, in a previous slaughterhouse? <laughs> maybe you will. That's interesting. Well, Seth, great information as usual, sir. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, stay tuned. We're going to have more on mixed use right after this short break. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you involved in the multifamily industry? Check out redIQ.com. You can easily and effectively turn operating data into actionable intelligence. Request a demo or try it for free at RedIQ.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit BullRealty.com or contact me directly. Well, today, we're talking about mixed use. Mixed use might be right for you, for your company, for you as a tenant, for you as an investor. And uh, please welcome my next guest. It's Jeff Garrison, and he's a partner with S.J. Collins Enterprises, and he's here in Studio One. Jeff, thanks for joining us, sir. Good morning. Well, you guys are doing some great developments all around the eastern seabird and around the around the southeast, and I guess you've done some in the northeast. So, um First thing I'd like to ask you is loca- about location. You know what makes a, a good property? because some of these mixed uses are kind of their own world, right? What makes a good property a good location? How do you pick it?
2: So the location, we, we will say that we only focus on A plus locations. And the reason is is because in order to have the right mix of uses, in order to have the energy that you're trying to create, you really need accessibility, you need mm-hmm. visibility. You need all the things that are primarily focused on retail. But you also need uh, great property that that will fit the the needs of an office tenant, uh, that will fit the needs of multi-use and and hotel. So here in Atlanta, uh, we're working on a project just on the west side of Midtown. Uh, It's a great project because it allows us to bring in this entertainment venue, uh, retail. Uh, We have a hotel that's an unbranded Marriott back of house. Uh, We're able to bring in WeWork and Georgia Tech, Uh, And that really is driven by this location, which is marquee and in the center of what is the urban fabric.
0: Yeah. And some of these projects you've done have been in these smaller suburban cities around these city centers, right? Uh, And and that's something that happens around, you know, all around the country. What's different about those projects?
2: Well, you really have to think about the curated mix. What Mm. is the right mix? And oftentimes we as developers think that we know what the right mix is, but Oftentimes what we need to do is really spend time in the community because at the end of the day, when we leave and I come back to my home here in Atlanta, uh, when I leave the Northeast, when I leave, uh, you know, Virginia or Southern Florida, I'm coming back to my home. This this is a property that's going to thrive or fail because the community buys in or doesn't. So what we do is we spend a lot of time making sure that the community is invested. What do you want to see? What is the right tenant mix for you? Do you want more restaurants? Do you want more uh, fitness, boutique fitness? Do you want mm-hmm. large-scale fitness? How do you want that to connect? And so I think oftentimes we really need to get into that community to understand what they're going to buy into and invest in.
0: And how are you founding municipalities related to getting the zoning and the density you need these days?
2: Well, uh, <laughs> you know that you're at the, uh, the, the sort of top end of a cycle when the communities really are pushing back. I mean, mm-hmm. everything from uh, you know, architectural review committees to new boards and local um, community activist groups that we have to meet with. Uh, in Decatur, which is here in Georgia, we met with 50 different uh, groups. And those were neighborhood groups. Those were commissioners. Those were, um, you know, different neighborhood commutes had, had started their own, um, you know, community activist network. And they email. And in order to get them to invest in the property to, to really support you at zoning, uh, you've got to spend time and understand what's important to them.
0: Yeah. So, how long did that process take from start to to to, to putting the first shovel in the ground?
2: Well, typically for us on a project like that, which is a mixed-use project with with a little bit of office, a little you know, a lot of apartments and and a grocery anchored, uh, Whole Foods is the anchor there, uh, a lot of restaurants. Uh, what was important to that community? was that we have a lot of park space typically it takes us about 15 months to bring that uh, all to bear Mm -hmm. and to be honest it's actually quicker to go through the process early on Mm -hmm. so you know a lot of people say well maybe i can do without going to talk to them maybe an attorney can walk me through the process the Mm -hmm. fact is you've got to embed yourself in the community yeah you have to understand what they want and because we spent so much time in the community when we actually went in front of the board uh, to get our final vote, we actually had five people stand up from neighborhood groups, and that nothing's going to nothing's going to get you a unanimous vote.
0: And they supported you.
2: They supported. Yeah, that's us. good. And, and so that is that is atypical, but it's mm-hmm. worth putting the time in up front. Not only are mm-hmm. you going to get it right, uh, but they're going to they're going to support you.
0: And you mentioned getting some uh, pushback, uh, maybe uh, from the municipalities and the and the local people in the community who think that hey, maybe there's enough apartments already, and and maybe even. Uh, lenders and people in the project look at existing rents and occupancy in a market. But when you're building uh, multifamily in a mixed-use development, uh, what do you say to them? What's different?
2: Well, it really is interesting mm-hmm. because a lot of people are reluctant to enter into mixed-use. It's complicated. It, it, it makes the project a lot longer to, to construct and to build and get out of the ground. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that what we're seeing is in Newport News, Virginia, we have a Uh, apartment complex that's adjacent to Whole Foods and P.F. Chang's, a number of local restaurants and a fitness, 40,000 square foot, one life fitness there. Our rents are 20 percent higher than the prevailing market. And when we went to our latest project, we said, we're going to do it again. We're going to create 20 percent higher rents and we're going to do it because the energy of that development is there, right? People yeah. want to be there. People would rather be there than they would be a mile down the street, but every time they want a good or service or go to a restaurant, they get a Jump in a car.
0: Now, did the lender look at you and go, "Oh, really?" <laughs>
2: they, they, they do, and and I think yeah. one of the great things uh, about S.J. Collins is yeah. that we're able to say, "Well, you're right. It's it's hard to say that the prevailing market is 25 bucks a square foot, and we're going to get 32." Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that we can go back to our last project and say, "We did it here.
0: Yeah.
2: We we will do it again," and we can point to that over and over and over again. Uh, and so, mixed use projects are the same. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah, well, I'm um, I, I with you there. I mean, I have a, a, a second home at uh, Lake Lanier, which is north of Atlanta, and I like to go there on the weekends, and I have a little place in town, Atlanta, and now we're empty nesters, my wife and I, and I'd love to live in a nice apartment in a mixed-use development in the perimeter area where I can walk out and go to a restaurant, and I think I would pay more rent when I know I could just walk out and maybe go to my office or walk out and go to a restaurant, maybe not get it in a car, right? I could see why people would pay more. It makes sense. Let me ask you about the office part of these mixed-use developments, Jeff, because, you know, it's uh, interesting. You've got some pretty large co-working tenants like we work in these projects, Right. That's great. Uh, when you have that large of a component and talk to us about an example of how large some of these uh, co-working tenants are in these mixed shoes, how does that impact the overall development?
2: It's, it's a great question, mm-hmm. and co-working, in our opinion, mm-hmm. is here to stay. Mm-hmm. I mean, the energy, the excitement, the way that people want to work, it captures it all. Mm-hmm. I think WeWork is a perfect example. Uh, our project here, the Interlock, which is in West Midtown of Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, we've got 120,000 square feet with WeWork. Uh, some of the challenges is a lot of the bankers that we go and talk to, they say, well, hey, what happens during a recession? We think that the occupancy uh, will go from 92%, which is their average, down to the low 80s. And, and really, that's, that's based off nothing but their supposition, right? When we look to Europe, when we see what's happening in Germany and uh, in Europe where they have decreasing GDP, the occupancy of WeWork and other co-working space is actually going up. People don't want to commit to a five-year lease when they mm-hmm. can go into this great space mm-hmm. with this high energy, uh, where they can capture all these new young workers. Uh, they can mm-hmm. keep them happy. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of excitement there. Most of our projects either include a co-working space when we have office because we think that mm-hmm. energy is great. Um, you know, so uh, we've we spent a lot of time thinking about it. But it is something that's new to the market that the, the bankers. Uh, you have to spend a little bit more time with.
0: Them. Yeah, I bet. Now, when you're doing a new co-working, mixed-use project, and you have co-working in a large component of it like that, a large space, uh, and you're building it new, uh, what's it look like? Because I think of them going in some of the older buildings I've been in, in and, and Chicago, New York, Atlanta, that they, they, they kind of make a cool interior in an older building. Uh, but when I think of mixed-use, my first thought is retail. Uh, so what, what what's a new WeWork look like in a mixed-use development?
2: Well, I think thinking about it from a retail perspective is very important because mm-hmm. as retail-minded folks, and mm-hmm. I come from a retail background, we really are always thinking about the space, right, mm-hmm. about the access, about the visibility, about mm-hmm. the branding, mm-hmm. uh, about the signage, about the parking, how far is the parking. All those things are also important to uh, co-working space. Mm-hmm. The other things that are important is the ceiling height, right? Mm-hmm. People want this loft ceiling space. They don't mm-hmm. want the nine-foot, restrictive, you know, low-energy setting. They mm-hmm. also want a lot of glass. Uh, so at uh, at the Interlock, we actually brought in a view glass, which is a new product. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually have money from SoftBank, the same uh, investor in WeWork. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're able to put in this glass where we don't have to have any mecha shades or any shading system at all. It will actually reflect whatever the light environment is outside it will create uh it will it will shade the the glass so that you never have to put shades on it nice. uh, which is a really exciting thing and that's what people want yeah in the new construction we're still you know in old older buildings they typically come in with the laminate sort of floor because the patterns in the and the floors are not oh consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, with here, it's a consistent pour that we're doing uh, for WeWorks. So they'll be able to use the existing and probably polish the existing concrete instead of trying to bring in some sort of laminate flooring, which I think is a, is a great touch as well. Yeah, so.
0: and if you're watching our video, maybe you're seeing it. If you're listening to the podcast, go to CREshow.com and, and look for the show on uh, mixed-use developments, and uh, uh, we'll have uh, a link to the video. Uh, so, So Jeff, that building that you build new, for work in a mixed-use development, it, look, you look at it and go, oh, it's an office building. You don't look at it and go, what is it?
2: <laughs> well, you do. It's different, right? Yeah. The, the office buildings that we've grown up knowing are these shiny towers that are, you know, 10, 12, 15 stories high. And really, that that energy type is is really hard to be on the 40th floor and come down to the bottom and feel like you're engaged with whatever that entertainment venue is or restaurant or uh, any of the retail uses. So we like to build a, a smaller building. I think 200,000 square feet is our perfect size. It's mm-hmm. a boutique size. Uh, and we also like the, the building to be reflective of the surrounding community. So uh, if we're in a community that's more industrial feel, which is a lot of what's happening in these uh, urban locations, right, mm-hmm. As the industrial core is converting back to uh, you know, a livable, workable, playable environment. So we're trying to be more reflective. So a lot of brick, a lot of concrete, a lot of glass, a lot of lead pane windows, Mm -hmm. all those things reflect the community. You don't want to be an eyesore. You want to fit in, even though that you're this new, uh, product.
0: And when you're doing these mixed use developments, Jeff, brand new from, from the ground up, uh, do you have different ownership components? Uh, there are different, uh, uh, investors and companies involved in the different parcels? Are you guys all in on everything?
2: Well, it really depends on the location. Mm -hmm. So we're working in uh, just outside of Metro Atlanta and Roswell, Mm -hmm. Georgia. We've got a project called the Southern Post, Mm -hmm. uh, which is apartments and office and retail. We will be the owner of all those. And it Mm -hmm. is cleaner. We actually have townhomes as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, It will be cleaner for us to own the entire project. It also helps us to create some value on the management. Mm -hmm. Uh, So typically, if you're managing office is one component, the retail is one component, the parking deck is one component... Uh, the apartments is another, Uh, you're going to lose some value. So there is economies of scale that we're going to be able to take advantage of, which will make this project uh, really sing. In Atlanta, at the Interlock, that project is uh, a large number of condos with a master condo association. I mean, our uh, closing documents are this big. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you really, sometimes that's the right mix. We wanted to get in the right hotel uh, provider, the right apartment provider, because it's more luxury uh, you know, we're trying to find a very select developer who can hit that mark, and that was important there to have different ownerships.
0: Jeff, we have uh, a tenant we represent who is a little apprehensive about mixed use because um, they really like the ability for their customers to kind of park right at the front door and, and, and come in real quick and then go out. They have a lot of customers that are in and out very quickly. And, and I guess there's some other tenants that you, would, you have to work with, that are used to the traditional mall or traditional shopping center with a lot of open parking. Uh, What do you say to tenants to think about adjusting their, their way of thinking uh, to move forward to get into the energy of some of these mixed use developments.
2: yeah, I, and I would tell them not to uh, lower their standard. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it, it is true that having a Starbucks drive-through is a mm-hmm. much more complex in a mixed use center. I, mm-hmm. I you know I think people have pulled it off, but that's very complex. But for a bank, mm-hmm. they should demand from mixed use development that it provide easy access mm-hmm. to their customer base. Mm-hmm. And you can still do that. You just have to be thoughtful and you yeah. can't come into a market and say, this is what I'm building. Uh, and expect the community to buy in. What you really need to do is spend time in the community, understand what is the need. So, for instance, we have a bank at the interlock, Mm -hmm. uh, and that was exactly what their concern was. So Mm -hmm. we had to make sure that they saw that we were able to create 30-minute spaces that were adjacent to the property. The access was easy. Mm -hmm. They could walk down a corridor to their uh, space. They had advertising and engagement from the parking deck, so it wasn't like the back of a building where you have grease traps and Mm -hmm. people smoking cigarettes. It is really Mm -hmm. a nice environment, right? Right. Uh, so you really have to focus on those things. And I think so much of what mixed use is nowadays is that people think it's an afterthought for apartments. And that's, what, uh, that's the mindset that's coming is that, oh, there's apartments, I'm mixed use because I threw some retail at the bottom. That's not thoughtful mixed use. We're talking about a different product type.
0: What do you say, Jeff, to someone who maybe hasn't lived into, in a mixed use and they're considering uh, renting or buying a residential in a mixed use and maybe they're concerned with all this going on around them and the smells from the restaurants and the parking lots and the cars and all of that, uh, what, what's, what should they know about the experience? What, maybe the positives and negatives.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is a great environment, mm-hmm. and so many people, you and, and I, both mm-hmm. want to move into the urban core and leave mm-hmm. our car parked in the garage and, and be able to go to work and go to restaurants and enjoy ourselves with never getting back in the car. Yeah. So that, that is the lifestyle that we're trying to provide. Mm-hmm. In order to develop that lifestyle, everything has to be thought out. And mixed-use has to be done right, right? So you have to think about what's going to happen. What's the energy of this mixed-use project at 9 a.m.? What's the energy of it at noon? What's the energy of it at midnight? And if you have residents, uh, you know, was the uh, – so we have a rooftop restaurant. A rooftop restaurant that's really loud until 11 may not be conducive to somebody living. So how do you create the right mix and make sure that you've curated it correctly so that they they ebb and flow and that that, that it's a good feel throughout? Uh, I don't know that there's any one answer. I think it really does depend on the uh, engagement of the development group. Uh, And so we would like to think that uh, we've been able to to handle all those concerns well. But I do think it's something that, that people need to think about.
0: And these developments you've done, Jeff, when people lease office space, whether right, it's a traditional office space or a uh, WeWork or something, they're working there, what do they tell you that's different or surprise them about working in an environment like that?
2: Well, certainly it is all about the energy. Mm-hmm. And, and people talk about placemaking and curating mm-hmm. and experience, and all that really is related to the energy. So, you know, so much of the, you know, the, the, the towers in downtown urban settings are, it's just, there's no energy to your space. It's low ceilings. You're in a, you know, locked box with no windows. So how do you engage that person? People want to work outside. So do you have patios? Do you have a rooftop? Do you have comfortable seating? Do you have a restaurant that serves coffee and baguettes when they get there in the morning? Do you have a restaurant that serves a quick, fast casual? Do you have restaurants that serve a business dinner? All those things make it to where people work longer and they work better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I'm a commercial real estate broker, and I like to maybe grab a quick dinner and then do some great work after dinner because I'm not, I'm not interrupted, right? I can get a lot done. And, and, and I would assume there's a lot of people like that. So if you could go downstairs, have a nice meal, uh, have a great cup of coffee, and then go back up and do some work, that would be convenient. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: I, I do think one of the things as I think about the late 90s and the developments mm-hmm. that were done for retail, because people talk about the retail apocalypse. Mm-hmm. It really is a retail revolution. Yeah. If you look at and you think about your trip uh, to go get a bath mat and, and a plunger, right? And you park way in the distance. You have to walk through a parking lot that's hot, that, that is, you know, extremely un- customer friendly. Yeah. That, that experience, drained. just talking about it, drains me, right? Yeah. So how do we change that, right? Otherwise, yeah. people are just going to do it online. Yeah. They're just going to shop online. So we have to create the right environment with the right mix, create energy, be thoughtful about every aspect from parking to walkability to what you're sensing to the smell. Everything has to be considered. And that's how you're going to bring people out from behind the computer yeah. and into your centers.
0: Yeah, good point. Well, Jeff, what do you say to lenders or investors who... Say to you, what do you mean you're going to you're planning a new mixed-use development? Look where we are in the cycle. <laughs> this, these good times can't last forever.
2: Well, you you do have to be uh, you know cognizant of the fact mm-hmm. that you are subjecting yourself to mm-hmm. all commercial real estate types, mm-hmm. uh, and it could be that you know there's times when apartments are hot and mm-hmm. commercials you know, not hot retail and others are not hot. So you have to be thoughtful because at the end of the day, a year and a half of putting the deal together and then having one of these components, whether it be hotel apartments, townhomes, you're, you're subjecting yourself to a lot. So there is real uh, exposure there, but in order to do it right, uh, you, you do have to invest in, in the right mix of those and make sure that it's a good fit for those property types. Uh, you know, certainly the environment's different now. I mean, but interest rates as we sit here today are at 2.17 in the Mm -hmm. 10 year. Uh, It's a great lender environment. There's a lot of investment capital out there seeking good deals. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, is that when you do these projects, right, we're seeing record low cap rates. I mean, you look at Uh, Chelsea Market uh, Mm -hmm. in in New York in in a cap rate that's Mm -hmm. almost incalculable. Mm -hmm. Or you look here in downtown Atlanta, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple projects that have gone for well below a five cap, right? Mm -hmm. And that reflects that this is where investors want to place their money and they see the long-term value.
0: Yeah, And to that end, there there are projects that are different. Uh, And I think that's what a lot of developers are doing today in, in your projects and other projects that, you know what, you can look at the current stock But if you're creating a little bit of a different product, uh, then it kind of sits in its own and doesn't have as much competition, right? That's that's amazing. Well, uh, Jeff, that's great information. Thank you for joining us, sir. We appreciate you being on the show.
2: Absolutely. All
0: right. And thank you for joining us there around the country. We hope you enjoyed the show. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial agent success strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Red IQ, turning multifamily data into actionable intelligence. Visit rediq.com.